Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to our week 14 episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I'm the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. And I'm not going to take up too much of your time in this first segment because we have a 40-minute interview with the great Sal Pal, ESPN national correspondent. He's going to help us break down the Giants and Eagles, which he will be calling as the ESPN national radio analyst with Chris Carlin in the booth at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. And we'll get into all the permutations and drama of the NFC East down the stretch, which is at an, uh, a recent all-time high given what that division has looked like in recent years. But a few points from me first. First, remember, we are sponsored by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet your favorite sports and events, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And where I'm starting is you should go place a wager right now for the regular season 2022 NFL MVP. But you might want to put some money on two guys because Patrick Mahomes was my preseason pick, and I still think he's the front runner. But I think Jalen Hurts may have caught him, and it may be a two-horse race. Now listen, still weeks left in the season. Tua Tagovailoa, among others, have had great years. Uh, could come back on strong down the stretch after uh, you know running into the Niners' top defense in the NFL and stalling a bit. But what Hertz is doing, and we're going to talk about this more with Sal, uh, but just to give you a picture of how great Jalen Hurts is playing for the Eagles right now, and something that needs to be said about the MVP conversation is this. Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts each are their team team's offenses. You know, the Eagles have done a great job of building around Jalen Hurts. Great offensive line, added weapons, go, they go get A.J. Brown, et cetera. They drafted Devontae Smith. But he's even doing this right now without Dallas Goddard, his top tight end and one of his top receivers. And then you look at Kansas City as well. As much as they have skill positions and fast receivers and speed and a pretty good offensive line now, losing Tyreek Hill and Mahomes arguably playing even better. Both of these quarterbacks aren't just important pieces of their offenses. They are their offenses. And they both belong right now at the top of the MVP race down the stretch and here's what, here's what it looks like between the two. Total yards, Patrick Mahomes, 4,091. Jalen Hurts, 3,549. Of course, most of Mahomes are passing, and Hurts has over 600 yards rushing. Patrick Mahomes with 32 total touchdowns. Jalen Hurts with 29. So that includes many more on the ground. I believe it's nine total on the ground for Hurts. Total turnovers, Jalen Hurts with only five compared to Patrick Mahomes' 11. 
And one of the amazing things about that is that Jalen Hurts has carried the ball 132 times. And then you have to take into account times he's been hit in the pocket, sacked, et cetera. So 132 carries plus all those dropbacks has only lost two fumbles. Patrick Mahomes with 44 carries has three fumbles. Jalen Hurts with 609 rushing yards and nine touchdowns. That's the exact number. Hurts, obviously, with an 11-1 record with the Eagles atop the NFC. Patrick Mahomes, 9-3 with the Chiefs. Completion percentage, Jalen Hurts ahead, 68.1% completion percentage at 12.1 yards per catch by his receivers. Patrick Mahomes at 65.7 completion percentage and a 12.4 yards per catch for his receivers. Mahomes outranks Hurts right now in DVOA, the football outsiders all-encompassing uh, stat representing a player's value. Go check out Football Outsiders. It's an amazing website, great information. Um, I'm there every week, uh, virtually every day. Mahomes ranks second in the league, actually behind Tua, who is a distant first, interestingly. And then Jalen Hurts ranks fifth. Um, so will be fascinating to watch down the stretch. You know, does Jalen Hurts end up sitting the final game of the season if the Eagles clinch early? Uh, but no question about it that Mahomes and Hurts, I think, have separated themselves from the pack. Two other things before we get to Sal Powell. First of all, regardless of what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously we've seen reports now that with the broken foot, it's possible he comes back late in the playoffs. I think we'll all believe it when we see it. But as Adam Schefter, who reported that reported that Jimmy G's ankle was a little bit better than initially believed, as Adam Schefter said very well on ESPN, if the Niners are still alive in the NFC Championship when Garoppolo is ready to come back, that will mean that Brock Purdy most likely is playing extremely well. And I found this stat amazing about Brock Purdy. So he is now the Niners starting quarterback. He is a seventh round pick out of Iowa State, two-time first team Big 12 selection. So easy to forget sometimes that the guys who weren't even drafted or were drafted in the final pick in the NFL were still amazing players and are still amazing athletes. But Purdy, this was courtesy of Andrew Siciliano at NFL Network. Brock Purdy, not only the first Mr. Irrelevant, so the final pick of the NFL draft, to throw a touchdown pass in an NFL game, he is the first Mr. Irrelevant to ever throw a forward pass in an NFL regular season game. And I think if you are not just a football fan, but a fan of sports, you got to root for a kid like this, right? Uh, doesn't know what he doesn't know. Uh, comes in and I think threw two touchdown passes in that win over the Miami Dolphins. And I'd, I'm not sure how I feel about whether the Niners Super Bowl chances are up in smoke right now. I think that their defense is good enough and other, t you know, the NFL is so low scoring and Sal has some great stats in our interview about that. It's so low scoring now that a lot of these teams in the playoffs, I think the Niners will be able to get away with snuffing out offenses that their defense doesn't have much of a problem with, especially because of Nick Bosa and their pass rush. And they'll be able to manage the game on offense and get by. So I'm, I'm not ready to sit here and say that the Niners Super Bowl chances are out the window. I'm just, I know that sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy to think of Brock Purdy lifting the Lombardi trophy, but uh, frankly, you know, the Niners are well enough put together as a team that I can't write them off. I think that says a lot about, the roster construction that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan uh, have put together there in Santa Clara. And then my final point about another quarterback, uh, Daniel Jones and the Giants. 
of course, win, a, one win in their last five games, coming off a really frustrating tie that felt like a loss against the Washington Commanders 20-20. to 20. I was there for all of it. And I just wanted to bring up one point, two points. One, Daniel Jones has played really well this season. Okay? He's played really well this season. I believe he has. Two, when I wrote at the beginning of training camp about how if Jones didn't start playing better, you know, Tyrod Taylor might end up uh, coming in sooner than you think and all that. I took a lot of anger and and heat and frustration from fans and from people who said, how dare you? The giant, the giants love Daniel Jones. They're going to give him a chance. Now, listen, they gave him a chance and they have started him all year. But my point and the tone and the information behind that story was the fact that when Joe Shane and Brian Dable came in here and declined Jones's fifth year option, that the information said that they did not fully trust Daniel Jones and they did not fully trust Jones yet. Okay. So how reporting works is that you don't always write every single specific word you hear. You don't, not everything's a quote. But the context surrounding and informing that story was the idea that the Giants' new regime was not sold on Daniel Jones. And you saw that in Tennessee when he threw that interception, which is, of course, something they're trying to curb. You saw Brian Dable in his face on the bench. That was the coach telling the player, this is what we said you can't do. Now you're doing it. You can't keep doing it. And unsaid in that moment is, or else. Right. So following that, Jones has played, in my opinion, very well. I mean, you look at what Jalen Hurts has gotten from his front office in a prove it year, and what the Eagle and what Daniel Jones has gotten as far as a skill position group and weapons and help in his prove it year. Now the Giants cap problems are fair are very real. I'm just talking about what does one quarterback have to do and what does he have around him versus another. But now we come out of this game against Washington, and it sounds like the fans have caught up to the idea that, wait a second, why is Brian Dable coaching conservatively and protecting his offense? Why does it look like Dable is protecting his quarterback from himself and not going for broke and not coaching aggressively with his offense? Why does it look like he doesn't trust them? I think that should be a rhetorical question for you, and you should be able to answer it yourself, and you should understand that trolling people when they tell you information from behind the scenes about what's going on with an organization, maybe you should let it play out and take it for what it is. And that is informed reporting. That's what it is. But I'm glad everyone is caught up now. It's good to see. And now rather than uh, commenting on the trolls who react to giants ties and losses by attacking reporters instead of just analyzing the game. Let's go over to our fantastic interview with the great Sal Pal. All right. Welcome to another special episode of talking ball with Pat Leonard. The great Sal Pal Antonio is back ESPN national correspondent host of the NFL matchup show and actually is going to be in MetLife Stadium this weekend with me, but in the ESPN National Radio booth as the analyst for Eagles-Giants. 
alongside play-by-play stud Chris Carlin. Sal, thanks for coming back, man. And he is a stud. There's no question about it. I marvel at play-by-play guys, and Chris Carlin's one of the best of the best. No question about it. But you also are you also are one of the best. And let's start right with one reason why. At the beginning of this season, you come on our podcast, and at the end of it, you say your Super Bowl prediction, your matchup, is the Philadelphia Eagles against the Buffalo Bills. Some people thought the Eagles would be good. I don't think anybody realized they would be as good as you predicted them to be. Why is Nick Sirianni's team a league best 11-1? and one? Uh, Pat, two words, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I believe Jalen Hurts is the MVP. Jalen Hurts doesn't have Travis Kelsey like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jalen Hurts does have A.J. Brown, but he doesn't have Stephon Diggs, which is the best wide receiver in my view, other than Tyreek Hill like Josh Allen does. Uh, <laughs> and Jalen Hurts, this is just only his second year as a full-time starter. I think Jalen Hurts, when you have a dual-threat quarterback, and I mentioned him in the same breath as Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen for a reason, they're dual-threat quarterbacks. <clears throat> Mahomes moves within the pocket and creates plays off script. Josh Allen can run and throw. Uh, and I, it, when you have a dual threat quarterback who can win from the pocket, and that's been the big thing with Jalen Hurts, winning from the pocket, <clears throat> you have something that's truly dynamic and unstoppable. Let me look at these numbers that I had put together. So the Eagles had 363 rush yards on Sunday night football against the Packers. That's right. The next week, And by the way, that was the most rush yards by an Eagles team since Harry Truman was president. (laughs) So next week, following week against the Titans, they flipped the script on their offense. And he has 380 passing yards against Tennessee. Uh, And he had 380 passing yards, Pat. When he was pulled with nine minutes and 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter, not, 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 not 40 seconds, not, not four minutes, nine minutes. That's more than half the quarter, right? Am I doing the math right? Yeah. That's more than half the quarter. He was on the bench and he had 380. And that's an NFL team with Mike Vrabel as the coach. And I know they have weakness in their pass defense, but come on, man. Well, you led me into uh, my next question was about this exact game plan they just executed. Sal, not to take anything away from Hertz as a passer because he's had good passing games this year. And like you said, he's played at an MVP level. But do you think that the way they beat the Titans and the fact that they played left-handed, for lack of a better term, compared to what they're typically doing to win and they beat the pulp out of one of the hotter teams in the league, do you think that served additional notice to the rest of the NFC and the NFL that Hurts and the Eagles are for real? Well, I would hope that coaches and players who watch film, and that's what we do on the matchup show, don't need any additional notice. But yes, I think it served additional notice, except for the fact that even my own network didn't, even after the Eagles won that game, didn't have them as the top possibility of winning the NFC. They had the Cowboys listed in the power rankings with all the metrics as the number one likely team to win the NFC. So the metrics and, you know, the the second thoughts, I mean, coming into the game, we knew they could pass on the Titans because the Titans have a young secondary that suffered some injuries. And the Eagles do have a superior offensive line that's provided a lot of protection for sure. Mm -hmm. But again, 380 
on the bench for over half the fourth quarter is astounding. So what is fueling this? I think it's um, it's definitely A.J. Brown, hmm. and it's definitely Devontae Smith. These are two wide receivers who have really emerged this year. Smith is a terrific route runner. He's very precise. He has great hands. A.J. Brown's not going to be denied the football. Let me throw something else at you. So the yeah. Eagles will face the Giants this weekend again without Dallas Goddard, their premier tight end who was playing at a Pro Bowl level before he got hurt on Monday Night Football against the Washington Commanders. Now, Goddard had one of the best catch scores in the NFL. Catch score is a calculation of catches per target. It's a simple mathematical equation. Catches per target. A.J. Brown is 42nd in the league in catch score going into week 13. Goddard was in the top 10, top five among tight ends. He had 43 catches on 53 targets. You took him out of the offense and you still dropped 380 on the Titans. So I think um, this is a team that's really, they like each other. They click, they practice really well. Uh, they have uh, a leader that grinds. I call him the CEO, you know, in a way that Eli was a CEO. And yeah. Eli Manning was a real CEO in terms of the way he approached the team. It was like he, he had blinders on. He was always looking straight ahead. For sure. He, he had the, you know, the pulse of an astronaut, the blood pressure of a guy that stayed even keel all the way throughout. That's Jalen Hurts. I mean, if Jalen Hurts wasn't a quarterback, he should be in the space program. I mean, because <laughs> he has that kind of approach. He's going to have a <clears throat> meticulous preparation, and his blood pressure is never going to raise above the even keel. Yeah, his intangibles are off the charts as well as his tangibles. I wanted to ask you about another specific player on the Eagles offense. He sometimes gets attention. He definitely gets attention from your show. Lane Johnson, uh, 10th NFL season, battled depression last year. He leads the league right now in ESPN's pass, ru pass rush win rate for tackles at 95%. <clears throat> and I'm watching him also bulldozing guys on Miles Sanders' uh, interior inside uh, touchdown run against Tennessee as well. Is Lane playing as well as he's played? And he's, you know, he's an all pro as he's playing now as well as he's played? And is this offensive line even as good or better than the Super Bowl offensive line? No, it's not, uh, but it's pretty darn close. I think you have two all pros. You have Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. <clears throat> Lane Johnson, fourth overall pick, by the way, by your guy Chip Kelly. How about that? That's a legacy <laughs> that Chip Kelly left that football team, a right tackle that – has a chance to go to two Super Bowls. Good pull. <clears throat> yeah, pretty pretty good. You know, I think um, Lane is a terrific leader. He's a hardcore player. Um, and he's part of that group of guys, Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, that went to the Super Bowl and won it uh, in Super Bowl 52. So they know what it takes. But it's interesting. You have an interesting amalgam on this Eagles team that the Giants will face. You have a bunch of free agents that Howie Roseman brought in or by trades. you got Bradbury, your old guy in New York. Yeah. <clears throat> Slay was a pickup. 
those two tackles, Joseph and Sue, um, mm-hmm. traded for um, A.J. Brown. And then you have the holdovers who won the Super Bowl that I just mentioned. And then you have the young guns, Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts, those guys. So you have an interesting mixture on this football team. And that's why I call Jalen Hurts the CEO, son of a coach, coached by the son of a coach. They have an addictive personality in terms of their philosophy and approach day in and day out. It's only about what you're doing that day to get ready for tomorrow. Uh, so which why- is a really, it's a really tough thing to, to, um, to keep on, right, Pat? It's a, it's a tough track to stay on. Yeah. So why are they only six and a half point favorites against the Giants? I know they're on the road. Yeah. But I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm the only one who's trying to figure this out. I mean, they've scored 75 points in their last two games. Like you said, Hertz is beating teams with record-setting rushing numbers and record-setting passing numbers. And the Titans are playing as well as, you know, they're in the top five in teams in football right now and how, how teams are playing in this exact moment. So the Giants have won one time in their last five games. So you tell me, why is this not a, an 11-point uh, spread? You want me to go daily wager on you here now, Pat? Is that what we're doing? We're just flipping? <laughs> we're pivoting to the gambling portion of your program? I guess I, no, you know what? Forget this. Yeah, right. Forget this spread. No, yeah, I want to make some money here, Sal. Come on, yeah. No, Pat, listen. Um, I would, uh, here's the number one thing that I would say overall about this game coming up at MetLife. This is a must-win for both teams. This is a must-win for both teams. The Giants are the only team of the 14 playoff qualifiers that have not won a game in their division. The Giants face coming up. They have the Eagles at home. They go to Washington. They go to Minnesota, correct? Yes, correct. They have Indy and they have Philly. That looks like either two and three or one and four to me. I agree. So – this you have to win this divisional game at home. This is a must win for the Giants. That's why I think the spread is where it is. For the yeah. Eagles, it's also a must win. The Cowboys are totally for real. Totally. 100%. You've seen that. We watch it on tape. We watch them beat down some teams. They go to Minneapolis. They beat them 40-3. to They come home a couple of weeks later and they trash the Colts. Uh, that, on, that on national a, television, absolute was, thrashing. That, yeah. I've never seen anything like that fourth quarter, so. No, so they're totally for real. You saw the numbers that I sent to you. You know, an important metric in this league, I believe, where we are, and one of the reasons why we are points per game per team at a five-year low. Let me give you that again. Points per wow. game per team, five-year low. Reason is why. Because the number of touchdown passes is 110 touchdown passes below where 110 where 110. it was two years 110 where it was two years ago. Two years ago, you had 110 more touchdown passes going into Week 14 than you have this year. What a stat! I knew they were. I knew teams were running the ball more. I did not know that so they're running the ball more because they're passing it less because they're not being as productive because teams are hitting the quarterback so that metric that i sent you about Mm. teams hitting the quarterback look who's at the top of the list dallas 
Washington, a team the Giants just played. Yep. Yep. San Francisco. The Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks. That's one of the major reasons why the Seahawks, other than Geno Smith, are where they are. Hitting the quarterback, running or passing, is either a knockdown, a sack, or a hit. One of those three things, you add them up. And so I think the Dallas Cowboys are near 30% of all snaps they are hitting the quarterback. It's something – it's very close there. I think yeah, it's like 20 – What is it? What is it? 26. Okay, 26%. So a quarter of the time that they, wow. they drop back. It's, it is, it's an astounding number. That's why I think and Washington's Dallas- almost 30. Like to your point, Washington leads the league is almost 30, according to ESPN. Yeah, when you look at what they did against Daniel Jones, you know, that was big. That was big. The Jets are second in the league in that category, and the Jets don't blitz at all. They only send four rushers. That's the primary reason why the Jets are where they are. So Dallas is totally for real, 100%. So I'm yeah. looking at the Eagles' schedule. Must win. Got to beat the Giants. You're six-and-a-half-point favorites against a team that's going in the wrong direction. And you no have doubt. three road games in a row at New York, at Chicago, at Dallas. None of those are really one, easy right? wins. I mean, you, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy to go to Chicago in December and, you know, uh, pile up a big win. I mean – Justin Fields is a handful. That's not easy to deal with. Not to not to get off of this week's game, but just a temporary, since we're talking about the Eagles schedule, this is something I wanted to ask you. Do you think, and it's hard, it's hypothetical, but do you think if the Eagles locked up the one seed that the last game they play, that season finale against the Giants, that they would play Ian Book and sit Jalen Hurts. And I ask you this because I know this is far in the future and there's a more important game right now, but Giants fans, I think, are already starting to go through the permutations of how is this going to happen. And like you said, it looks like a two and three, one and four slate for the Giants down the stretch, but that could change if the Eagles don't play Jalen Hurts in that finale. So I'm curious how you think they would handle that. Yes, and I think that you're. it's a good speculation, so let's talk about it. If, if the Eagles have locked up the one seed, Jalen Hurts will not play. I can guarantee you that. And neither will mm. Gardner Minshew. So mm. um, they'll both sit. So I think, um, yeah, I think they will. Um, I'd be shocked if they played. But I don't know if they ha- will have the one seed locked up. I don't know if they'll have the division locked up. I mean, I don't – that game on Christmas Eve at Dallas is a tough, tough game. Good point. So if the Eagles are in a position where, you know, they they have they beat the Dallas Cowboys without Dak Prescott last time. Dallas is a different team than they faced the last time. So they are. They also have the Cowboys have Houston, Jacksonville. Okay, that's two wins. And then that Eagles game. So you're looking at to your point, you're looking at Dallas. It would hard to imagine they will not be eleven and three. Correct. Going into that game with the Eagles, right? So they're eleven and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say the Eagles lose one of the next two games, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So they would go in what twelve so and two. Twelve and two. Then, if they lose to the Cowboys, now they're twelve and three, and the Cowboys are twelve and three. Now, that last game of the year is going to mean something. No doubt. And for the Giants, you know, it's hard to. I listen. Anything could happen. It's hard for me to imagine they can beat this Eagles team. But so let's just say they lose this game. 
If they lose to the Eagles, Washington's on bye. So they would go into that Sunday night game that got flexed against Washington in week 15 in FedEx Field. The Giants and Washington would each be 7-5-1. and one. So the winner of that game, essentially, the loser of that game, I should say, essentially loses the nine-win tiebreak at the end of the year. In other words, if the Giants lose that game and they fall to 7-6-1, seven, six, and, uh, seven, six, and one, then even if they get to nine wins at the end, they don't have the tiebreaker with Washington if they get there. And so we keep talking about these are playoff games, but that's really a playoff game for the Giants because of how tough their schedule is down the stretch. If they don't win that game, to me, it looks like they're in trouble. Oh, I think all of these games for the Giants are playoff games. I think this is a must-win game for the Giants and the Eagles. That's why I think the spread is so close. That's the answer to your question. So how do the Giants win this game? Yeah. um, You know, I think the number one thing that cannot happen is what happened last week. You can't have an early game turnover by Daniel Jones. Can't happen. And I would imagine – that's got to be one of the number one talking points for Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka going into the game with Daniel mm-hmm. Jones. Without a doubt, you cannot turn doubt. the ball over early in this game. You can't turn the ball over in this game. You turn the ball over in this game, that's what the Eagles do. They feast on turnovers. They have the number one takeaways in the league, and they have the number one points and off takeaways in the league. That's what they do. Um, so that's the number one thing that has to happen. So you can't get cute with the football or you lose the game. I think secondly is I think what the Titans really failed to do is play back. So you got to pick your poison, right? If you play back, if you play too deep coverage, you invite Jalen Hurts to hand the football off or run with it. So it has to be sort of a matchup zone where they're playing matchup against guys, but also covering the back end of the defense. Gotcha. And you don't want these defenders pivoting so that they turn their backs to Jalen Hurts. Because once Jalen Hurts see these defenders turn their backs, he's gone. He's gone. Huh. He's gone. That'll actually be a familiar scheme if the Giants go that way on defense because that's essentially what Pat Graham and Joe Judge played a lot of last year. Now there's a lot of new players, but they played that type of coverage often to conceal their personnel weaknesses but also to try and keep everything in, in front of them, like you said. So um, there will be some guys on the defense if they go that way, like especially Julian Love on the back end who has the green dot, where that would be familiar to them. Um, Sal, you, you, continuing the Nostradamus uh, trend of your early season appearance here on Talking Ball, you said the Eagles would get you know to the Super Bowl or you know be in the contention there. You also told me, and this was my number one takeaway – that Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, would, quote, change the calculus in the NFC East. And I think I think we've seen exactly what you're talking about. Do you think that he could change the calculus, you know, pivoting off your comment about how you have to play the Eagles? Do you think Wink's aggressiveness and scheme could change the calculus of beating the Eagles, of winning a game that really nobody's giving the Giants a shot to win? Well, I think what's what I've seen from Martindale's defense that has worked are some of the more exotic blitzes and, and instead of the flood blitzes or the all-out blitzes, the zero blitzes. They haven't worked. They didn't work against the Cowboys, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think that they will work against Hurts. 
So, I mean, you're going to have to throw at him. And you got to remember, the guy setting the protection is not Jalen Hurts. It's Jason Kelsey. So Jason sets the protection. He's super savvy and experienced. There's nothing really that can be thrown at him that it's much different from what he's seen before, but it's going to be up to Martindale to give him those kinds of looks. I think the one thing that there, if there is a weakness, it is that the loss of Dallas Goddard and the fact that Quez Watkins hurt himself in the game means that really the Eagles only have two outside threats in Smith and in uh, Brown. Mm. So um, that I think is an important thing going in here when you're looking at this game and how they match up against the Giants blitzing defense. And I think the Giants are still number one in blitz percentage in the NFL and have been for the last couple of weeks, at least the last month or so. They are uh, 42.1% per ESPN stats and info. That is number one. Um, and, and sorry, I cut you off with my question there. I think you said the first key to the Giants winning was not turning the ball over. And the second key was um, was containing that Eagles offense and not letting them get behind him. Um, did I did I interrupt? Was there a third? Uh, there's probably five or six, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, I, I, I think those are the, those are the two things. Um, you know, yeah. Daniel, Daniel Jones has – the Giants have to look at what the Eagles did in their defensive line rotation against the Titans. Mm. So the, the Eagles' defensive line now is super fresh, and they yeah. got a lot of bodies that they throw at you. You know, Jonathan Gannon did not really blitz Ryan Tannehill, and they didn't play eight in the box against Derrick Henry. They just lined up their scheme. Uh, they're four defensive linemen, they're, they're five DBs, and they're two linebackers. And pretty much said, okay, uh, what, what are you guys going to try to do against us? And let's see what happens. You know, Sue has been incredible. Let me give you this the snap count. I think the snap count tells the story a lot mm. of what they do defensively. I wrote it down. Here you go. So here's here's something really interesting, Pat. They're so deep on their defensive line. Yeah. That Hargrave had 28 snaps. He led the team with 28 snaps on def- on the defensive line. 28. They rotate that much. Wow. Hargrave had 28 snaps. Sweat and Cox had 27 each. They were both tied for second. Sue and Williams had 25 each. Brandon Graham, 18. Linval Joseph had 13. Jordan Davis had six coming back from that high ankle sprain. That was his first game back. Only so okay. so that's when, you, when your def- defensive line maxes out at 28 snaps, they're super fresh. Every down. Before they got Sue and Linval Joseph, just as a comparison against Washington – Fletcher Cox played 80% of the snaps, over 70 snaps. So, so <laughs> big difference. On, yeah, no doubt. On uh, and and when the Eagle and listen, every every year when the Eagles are recently have been rolling and near the near at the top of the NFC East, it really has come down to Howie and the team assembling not only strong lines but deep lines, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was going through it today about 
you know, Landon Dickerson is third in the league and pass block for guard. Kelsey's five in centers. Uh, Jordan Mailata is second for tackles. Landon Dickerson's first in run block for guards. Kelsey's first in block for centers. And then on defense, pass rush win win rate. Josh Sweat is third for edges. Hassan Reddick is fifth. Um, Javon Hargrave is fifth for defensive tackles and pass rush win weight. And this is this for the Giants is the is the Achilles heel of them year in and year out. Right. Their defensive line is getting some interior pressure, but offensively outside of Andrew Thomas, they haven't been especially strong. Uh, But I wanted to ask you, too, from a Giants offensive perspective, Sal, the Eagles, like you said, they've been taking the football away. There have been stretches in these games, though, and throughout the season where Gannon's defense, it's almost been like a tidal wave of points to all of a sudden come in against them, or they just give up gobs of yards. Um, I know that these additions they've made, especially on the line, like you said, have somewhat addressed at least the fact that they weren't stopping the run. But if you're the Giants, how do you attack Jonathan Gannon's defense? Because it does seem like they're there are yards to be had. Run outside the numbers, pass inside the numbers. Don't run at the Eagles' strength between the hash marks. The Eagles' strength on the defensive line and the front seven is between the hash marks. you got to run outside of it. <clears throat> Tight end screens, wide receiver screens, a lot of uh, you know reverses, jet sweeps, anything that will get – your playmakers outside the hash marks with the football at the line of scrimmage. And then you've got to attack them in the middle of the field in the passing game. Shallow crosses, deep in cuts, curls, those kinds of things. Because their two corners are too good at protecting the boundary, hmm. Bradbury and, and, and Slay. They protect the boundary really, really well. How so long is uh, Gardner Johnson going to be out? Uh, he won't be playing in this game for all intents and right. purposes. That's all you have to worry about. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think Blankenship, you know, from my grades, I, I give him so far a solid C+. Plus. He tackles well. He's in the right place at the right. He's on rookie. He came in yeah. on the fly. He's a good tackler. He attacks the line of scrimmage in the run game. Um, I like him. But, you know, he hasn't been tested, Pat, deep with the deep ball. I don't know if Jones and the Giants are capable of doing that. But he was tested by um, Aaron Rodgers and their rookie wide receiver who's got seven touchdown catches. Um, What's his name? Christian Watson, yeah. Correct, yes. Well, you know what's interesting, Sal, is it's, it's kind of going under the radar with the Giants because their offense isn't scoring a lot of points. And at some point in every game, they're stalling out. But. Darius Slayton has come on as a guy who Jones has now hit, I think for, it has to be something like a completion of 40 or plus yards. I want to say in three straight games, Uh, I have to go back and check that, but he and Slayton have been connecting down the field and they've been taking those shots. Uh, So that element is there, but you, I think brought up the point of the week on the giants, the early Daniel Jones turnover. Because, Sal, as much as Brian Dable made his mark with the two-point conversion in week one at the end for the win or loss in Tennessee, and Saquon barrels through, and that was really – that galvanized the team. I mean, let's just face it. It did. It showed them how to win late games. It helped them 
feel confident when they were down in other games. But we turn to the Washington tie that they just had. Brian Dable clammed up and Mike Kafka in a conservative shell on offense. Why? Well, they're not going to say it out loud, but you can tell. And Sal, this has been going on all year in situational football spots. Like, for example, at the end of the first half where there might be a minute and a half left and they have two timeouts on their own 25, but they're not going for broke. They're protecting their offense. And it, the fans here in New York finally are at a point where they feel they see that Dable does not trust Jones. And I'm wondering from your standpoint, is that smart coaching to know a player's limitations or what you think they are and say, listen, this is the only way we can win? Or do you think where the Giants are trying to evaluate Daniel and also, you know, you need to coach to win rather than not to lose? Do you think that they should give Jones the opportunity to either, you know, excel or fall and put their full confidence in him and let him? you know, rip it and uh, turn it loose. And that's a great explanation of what's going on. So my opinion is this, and this is my opinion. Uh, Mm -hmm. Having, you know, you've seen me around Daniel Jones through several permutations of head coach, right? Yes. And you see the success that Brian Dayball has had this year with him. And I think the success is largely well over 80% to 90% due to the fact that early in the season, Daniel Jones did not turn the football over. And when he did, Dayball drew a line in the sand, right? And Mm -hmm. said, we're not going to do that. Got in his face and said, that can't happen. It's got to stop. Having said all that, in this particular instance against Washington, they should have gone for it, in my opinion. Because I think they're too harshly being judged. I think the Giants have already had a successful season considering where they were last year. Mm. And I realize um, that they want to advance and, you know, have a different measure of success, namely make it to the final seven in the NFC. Yeah. Okay. But they're playing with house money, right? They're, they should have gone for it. No question. You're at home. You have trusted this young man all year long. There's no question. I'm I'm not going to tell Brian Dayball how to coach his team. That's not my job. My job is to second guess. That's why I'm I'm on television. But You're going to have to first guess, though, in the booth on Sunday. Yes, I I will. But, you know, know, I'm saying this because – and the people who will watch your podcast will remember. I believe I was on your first podcast, right, or your second or somewhere around. Second, yep. Okay, second one. I said in that second podcast, the Giants are going to be good. You did. And there was a lot of doubt, as I said it to Linda Cohen on Sirius XM Radio. I said it on the matchup show. I said it in August. The Giants will be good. Coaching matters. And they have been coached really well. And in this particular instance, trust is the foundation of all coaching principles. Trust between players and coaches, players and players, coaches and coaches. Just trust. Trust the force, Luke. Just trust it. And if you, if you give him that trust, that trust begets confidence. You trust your children to do the right thing, they will confidently do the right thing. You trust your players to do the right thing, they will. You trust your spouse, whoever. Trust is the foundation of confidence. 
And I think in this particular instance, they should have trusted him and they should have went for it. And we wouldn't be really ha- the tenor of this conversation and the tenor of this week and the tenor of this game would be a lot different than it is right now. That's so right and so well said. Would you agree that – so you said that you feel the Giants have already had a successful season. And yes. I agree with the the premise that what this year was supposed to be versus what it had been for, through the first half. I mean, no question, exceeding expectations. So, Pat, how many wins did they have last year? Uh, six. Yeah. Was it six? Okay. They had six wins last year? Yeah. Six or five. Okay. I think I might be giving them an extra win. It might have been five. So is eight, eight and one a successful season? Yeah. So my it's question not- for you, my question for you is, is it different and is it justifiably different? Like does Brian, would Brian Dable hypothetically deserve criticism or more criticism? So this, this season starts with them starting, I think seven and two, if they go on a huge skid and miss the playoffs, is it fair to evaluate him and the giants more harshly than if the reverse had happened? Because I think you and I both would agree if the Giants started this year 0-5 and, and everybody said, well, it was, this was supposed to be an awful year. And then they went on a huge run and just missed the playoffs with, like you said, 8-8-1 record. I think everybody would go into January and say, wow, look at the job Dable did. If the flip side happens and they finish 8-8-1, eight, eight and one, but it's because they went on a huge losing streak at the end and failed to make a playoff spot when they were you know, 60% possible to make it, uh, you know, five weeks prior, is it fair to judge it differently and say, oh, this was a failure or a coaching, uh, you know, uh, was this was a rookie head coach who faltered and failed versus succeeded? You know, how, how would you view those, the dichotomy there? Okay. First of all, they needed to stop the bleeding on Sunday and beat the commanders. They didn't do that. It was a tie, but as Saquon Barkley said in the locker room, I think it was quoted in your piece in the Daily mm-hmm. News, this feels like a loss. Yes. It feels like a loss for a lot of different reasons, and it should, right? Yep. So if they had beat the commanders, again, the, the aperture of what we would be talking about would be completely different, and they didn't. <clears throat> so you have to go now pivot and look at it. Okay, well, for me – as someone who's supposed to make these evaluations outside the building, I'm not John Mara, I'm not the GM, I'm not Brian Dayball. I look at it to Giants having a successful season. Let's just say they go one and four down the stretch and finish eight, eight and one. Okay. <clears throat> so why did that happen? They had injuries, significant injuries. No doubt. Teams caught up to them in terms of what they were doing, especially in the offensive run game, for sure. And Daniel Jones reverted to some problems that he's had in his past. Those are the three main reasons why they leveled off. Okay? So, in my view, you can blame two out of the three on the coaching staff, maybe. Injuries, you can't. But the Saquon Barkley thing is, hey – you had some injuries, plus teams figured out your running game. Your running game was pretty multiple. They do a lot of different things, but so teams caught up to it a little bit. You know, those yeah. guys get paid too, the old line that people say. They do. They're professionals. They watch film. Everybody can see what the Giants are doing. Okay, we got to stop this. 
we got to stop this counter. we got to stop this pitch. In this game, for me, against the Eagles, where I see them vulnerable, and the Titans did none of this, Pat, none. They handed it off to Derrick Henry and used him as a sledgehammer into a stone wall. Dumb. <laughs> Dumb. You got to pitch it. You got to counter. You got to pull guys. You got to do sweeps. You have to run on the edges, run at their pass rushers. If you don't do that, you'll lose this game. There should be no running. There should be no running between the A and the B and the C gaps. It should be all on the outside. Well, hey, that's a good. That's a possible good sign for the Giants in the sense that I mean, this was a while ago now, but you know that that famous last drive in Jacksonville where they ran power, pulling their left guard over to the right eight straight times. Because it was play. working and Jacksonville couldn't stop it. So and we didn't see it against Washington. No, no. It's we did very, not see it against Washington. So, you know, their, I think uh, my run Kafka, scheme has, yeah, yeah. it's changed. It's, it's, it's become vanilla. No, that's a little harsh. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say that. It's not as multiple as it was. Well, I actually, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I actually asked Brian Dable on Monday of this Eagles week if he was considering taking over play calling, not because I think it deserved to be ripped out of Mike Kafka's hands or anything, but because first of all, the offense stagnated to huge degrees in the second half in Washington. Yeah. And also Dable after that game had this energy about, especially about end of first half third and one, I think it was in the red zone, had a chance to take a shot at the end zone before kicking a field goal right before the half. And they called a run play. And Jones gets the first down, gets tackled at the five or the four, and they had the run, spike it, kick a field goal. They didn't even take a chance to score a touchdown. And afterwards, Dable made a comment, basically said, like, that was the call Mike wanted. And then I came back and said, aren't you that, aren't you that, he didn't say those exact words, but that was what he was saying. And I said, well, you're the head coach. Can't you overrule that? And he said, yeah, no, everything's on me. But that is kind of where they are right now. And, And, you know, they're in this, middle ground of Dable who's used to these high powered bills offenses who gave up play calling. And I almost, I can almost see him in his desk right now thinking, you know, getting the itch, right? Um, sure. Well, you know, I he think Mike, he's not giving it up. Dable and Mike Kafka are represented by the same agent. Correct. Mike Bob Lamont, I do believe is correct. Uh, and, I, yeah. Okay. I think they have a different agent. Oh, they do have a different agent. Yeah. Oh, they okay. Do. All right. Yeah. Well, I know my, Mike Kafka wants to be a head coach. And one of the ways to be a head coach is to call plays. And so, you know, play, taking the play calling away from him would be a pretty significant thing. But we, we totally digress. I, I don't think the play calling should be taken away from Mike Kafka at all. You know, it's always a collaborative thing anyway, for the most part. It should be. But, I mean, I think you had a touchdown. The Giants had a touchdown early in the third quarter. And then there were like six straight punts against Washington. Yeah. I mean, yep. that's insane. That shouldn't happen. You have too many playmakers on offense. Washington's defense is good, but it's not that good. And you were home. Shouldn't have happened. No way. That was the. Those are the two reasons why you lost the game: the early turnover and the offense's ineptitude in the second half. We thank you so much for your time. I want to get <laughs> you out of here on one. Uh, you know, we haven't talked much drama. We've talked a lot of football, but let's talk some drama. I just need to know your opinion on Odo Beckham Jr. Should the Giants try to sign him? Do you think he can help a team now? Do you think he ends up in Dallas? 
What's your feeling on the OBJ? Well, well let's take let's take one of the let's take one of at a time. Okay. My opinion: Do I think the Giants should sign him? No. My opinion: Do I think that he can help someone out? I don't know the answer to that question. I haven't examined his knee. I don't know the extent of his rehab. I don't really know. The fact that he's not working out has got to be a pretty telltale sign of where he is right now, right? So it is December. If he's not working out now, okay, what does that say? You know, do I think he'll wind up in Dallas? Yes, I do think he'll wind up in Dallas. I don't know how much he will help, but I think he will wind up there for sure, 100%. Do I think Dallas needs him? I don't. I don't think Dallas needs him. Not the way C.D. Lamb is playing right now uh, and not the way their tight ends are playing. I, j- I just don't think. They have that two-headed monster in Pollard and, and Elliott. And, yeah. um, you know, their offensive line is playing really well and they're about to get some injured players back on their offensive line. Dallas is a formidable team, <clears throat> both offensively and defensively. I don't know if I would upset the chemistry that you have going there. Interesting. Sal, we always appreciate you joining. We really appreciate you coming on here, talking ball. I learn about 15 new things about the NFL every time I talk to you. (laughs) Sal, again, will be in the national ESPN radio booth at MetLife Stadium for Eagles Giants with Chris Carlin this Sunday. Sal, we appreciate your time as always, man. You're the best. There's nothing like a Sunday morning drive on the Jersey Turnpike. I get, get up early, get my Dunkin' Donuts at exit four, Go up the turnpike, make a left at 16W, get there before everybody else, get in that parking lot, get to that stadium. It's a, it's a, I've been doing it for 30 years, Pat. 3-0. How about that? Do you go, do you have WIP on the radio and then transition to WFAN to get oh, the flavors no. of it's, both? Or are you a music? It's Sunday morning before sunrise. I've got smooth jazz on Sirius XM, man. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I'm a pregame Duncan guy too. So kudos. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait to see you Sunday. Thanks for having me on the show. You're terrific. I really enjoy talking with you. Thank you. Always. Take care. Thanks, Pat. All right. Let's go over to Pat's picks for week 14. Going to give you three. These picks are brought to you, as always, by betonline.ag. Going to start with my best bet of the week. Patriots minus one, so one-point favorites at the Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football. I refuse to ever pick Cliff Kingsbury to do anything against Bill Belichick. Uh, Nine and six record for me, by the way, in week 13. We had a couple tough ones rolling in there, so we finally we've bounced back here. We're just below 500 for the season, but our goal is to get through week 18. Having made you that money, stick with us. We're going to get there, promise you. Uh, but the Patriots, I think this line is a is an overreaction to uh, two losses consecutively against the Vikings and the Bills, two of the best teams in the league. Uh, the Patriots should have won the game in Minnesota, and then obviously, um, you know, two games like that now coming into a team in Arizona that's, I believe, only won one in their last five. These teams are pretty identical against the spread, like each is about 500. So no real advantage or disadvantage there. Uh, but I think that the Arizona Cardinals coaching staff is just not up to the task of Bill Belichick and his coaching staff. And I think the Patriots win this game. Um I'm also going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. They are minus three and a half at home 
uh, against the Carolina Panthers. And I know the Panthers have shown some, some fight here um, in their rotation of quarterbacks that now no longer includes Baker Mayfield. Uh, but the Seattle Seahawks are, um, you know, with Geno Smith playing the way he is right now. And both of these teams need wins. I mean, Carolina somehow is still not dead in the um, NFC South which is horrendous. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just got that really important, important victory come back over the new Orleans saints on Monday night football. Uh, both of these teams are desperate. I get it. And Carolina is not awful, but um, I love that Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks offense and passing offense can carry them. If need be Kenneth Walker got hurt last game. We'll see where he is. They're, they're rookie running back. They're promising running back out of Michigan state. Uh, but I, I like the Seahawks. I, their defense ha- is young and had struggled, but I, I don't think that the Panthers will have the players and the attack to put the Seattle defense where it's weak on its heels. So I really like the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll's team in their home stadium, uh, which I think will be especially difficult for Sam Darnold and Carolina there. And then maybe sprinkle on this one. I'm not, I'm not going for broke on this, but this nine and a half point line with the Jets and Buffalo Bills is curious to me. Uh, it appears that Las Vegas does not try Mike does not trust Mike F and White. Um, you know, so the Bills are favored by nine and a half points right now on Bet Online. I'm taking the Jets there. I'm sprinkling. You know, I'm not. I'm not dumping a ton of cash on it. But I like the Jets there and Robert Sala's defense. Obviously, they beat Buffalo here in New Jersey. Playing in Orchard Park is a much different task. But I like the Jets to cover that spread. Who knows if they are able to win that game? That would be a, a tall task. But I like the Jets to cover that. So those are my three Pats picks for the week. Go to my Instagram account, as always, on Friday. I will have all the picks for the New York Daily News spreads that come in normally on the Wednesday early day spread. So any lines that move throughout the week, if you have a question for me about a line that has moved and how it might adjust my selection, hit me in my comments direct messages on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. And I will tell you if I would change my pick based on how the bookies are swinging it. Um, But that'll do it for here. Please rate, review, subscribe, YouTube, PL on NFL, Instagram, PL on NFL, TikTok, PL on NFL, Twitter, P Leonard, NYDN. And obviously the Talking Ball podcast on Believe Network. You can find it on iTunes, Apple, Spotify, uh, Overcast, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen. We really appreciate the support and we thank you so much. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.